You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Awesome Prize, Rob Lewis and Brent Hubbs. Tennessee coming off a 65-24 winner over UT Martin on homecoming, 7-0 to begin the season. Now you get back into the final five, the home stretch of this regular season, five straight games from within the SEC, starting Brent Hubbs this weekend with Kentucky, number 19 in the country. Uh, the game formerly known as the Battle for the Beer Barrel at Tennessee and Kentucky. It'll be a challenge, and Josh Heupel said as much on Monday morning. Yeah, no doubt. It still should be the Battle for the Beer Barrel. They should pull it out. They should still swap it back and forth. Um, there's no reason why that 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 tradition has not been restarted. They sell beer in the stadiums. They sell yeah. they, it's, like It's ridiculous that, that we can't pass back and forth a painted whiskey barrel. Uh, that that's a part of the history of this, but that's a soapbox for for a different day. Uh, as for these two teams, uh, it is an intriguing matchup. I think it's, Rob, it's the most physical run game Tennessee's played this year defensively to, to try to stop. Um, they've got a talented quarterback in Will Levis. Uh, it's a Kentucky defense that's been salty at times. They play a little bit like some of the stuff that UT Martin does in their run game defense, which Tennessee didn't exactly carve UT Martin up early in that game running the football. So there's certainly challenges there for Tennessee. The flip side of that is Kentucky's not seen an offense like this. No, not close. And, um, you know, I know Kentucky gets a lot of props for being physical. And Chris Rodriguez, you know, his, his numbers speak for themselves. He's a good back. But, you know, just when you look at SEC play, they have not been lightening up as far as the ground game. Um they played four SEC games, and their average is just 134 yards a game. Makes me think that, the, you know, the, the myth about their ground game is a little bit inflated. I mean, yeah, Rodriguez is good. Um, and some of those numbers, too, are impacted by the fact that they've been so bad at protecting the quarterback cover that you know, they're losing 25, 27 yards per game on average off their rushing total. So it would look better. But um, I – you know, I think if you look at the preseason rankings where Kentucky was picked and all that, I think a lot of that was because of their ground game, not just Rodriguez, but their offensive line brought a lot of guys back. And just for me, I don't think they've lived up to the preseason expectations there. Well, I don't think so either. Obviously, you know, we, we made jokes all the time. Will Levis, the overhyped quarterback of the offseason, number one draft pick, all that type of stuff. That was from a CBS, you know, mock draft back in May, but I mean, he's a good quarterback. He'll be playing on Sundays. That's just fact. He's going to be the NFL. I don't think he'll be a face of franchise or anything, but um, he'll be drafted. But they did lose some good players on that offensive line. They've given up 26 sacks. And Rodriguez Jr., he was gone for the first four games of the season. But since he has returned, he's ran for 72 yards, 126 yards, 197 yards. So it looks like they're getting back to what they want to be offensively. But still, I mean, they're they're not going to score a whole lot of points. They scored 27 was the highest point total in SEC play, and that came against Mississippi State before the bye week. 
again, the best thing going for Tennessee going into this game is it's strength on strength. Right now, defensively for Tennessee, their strength is stopping the run. That's what Kentucky likes to do. Um, you know, and again, when Tennessee, when Kentucky does draw back to pass it, Tennessee's shown an ability to get home um, or at least get close. How many times would they have gotten sacks against Bryce Young? We talked about this last week. If Will Levis is back there, it's probably a three, four, five sacks instead of zero because Bryce Young was, you know, Houdini. So um, I, I think even if Kentucky's able to run it a little bit, they're going to be forced to throw it more because I think they'll struggle to slow down Tennessee as long as Tennessee doesn't turn the football over. And then, two, I just don't think they can kind of play that slow tempo. They did it a year ago at home. I think on the road it becomes way more uh, difficult to have that kind of same success. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that, too, I mean, a year ago, Tennessee blitzed them right out of the gate, right? I mean, it, and that skews a little bit of your time of possession when you score three touchdowns on four plays, which is essentially what Tennessee did uh, to, to start the game, uh, almost maybe six plays, something like that. Uh, but then Kentucky settled in and, and, and tried to, to, to run it out. I think Tennessee's better equipped to handle that this year because they're playing more guys up front. I don't know that they'll get wore down as much. Uh, and then, and the other question is, is Will Levis and Kentucky going to be patient? Rob, how many offensive coordinators and head coaches have, have tried to be super aggressive because they feel like they've got to match Tennessee points for points? Are they going to be patient uh, to, to, to try to really grind the game out and, and, and play it that way? Or do they feel compelled they've got to play catch up and, and got, start, got to sling the ball around um, and, and try to catch up that way? So I, I think that's something that Tennessee's offense is dictating a little bit uh, how other offenses that are playing and calling football games right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch her because Kentucky clearly, clearly wants to run the football. Um, in, in their four SEC games, they've only attempted 100 passes. And I know one of those they played without Levis, so that probably you know, impacted play calling. But still, their, their run pass ratio has been 160 runs to 100 passes in, in four SEC games, which is you know pretty, pretty dramatic. And, and Coach Heupel touched on it today in terms of, you know, it's going to be a, a different game in, in, in terms of how both teams want to play. Tennessee's going to have to deal with the fact that they're going to have limited possessions, most likely compared to a normal Saturday just because of how ball control Kentucky wants to be. And, AP, I, I think you made a great point when you talked about strength on strength. If, if Tennessee can keep them, you know, in third and five, third and six, third and seven, I, I think that's a huge advantage because, you know, Austin, as me and you talked about today, they – they Kentucky is explode or can hit explosive plays, but they rely so heavily on play action to do that. So if you can keep the down and distance in your favor as a defense, I, I really think that puts a lot of pressure on them to to be good somewhere they have it. And that's in the passing game. They don't have a receiver that ranks in the top ten in, in anything in, in SEC play. Yeah, welcome to Tuesday. Here's going to be my drum that I beat all week. The only way Kentucky can play with Tennessee is if they get turnovers and if Barryon Brown makes some big plays in special teams. I mean, he's special with the ball in his hands. He's really, really good. Um, I want to ask Hubs this. Hubs, what are your thoughts on if Jalen McCullough is not able to go or 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 whatever? I mean, he's not, you know he's been around, but he's not practiced the last couple weeks. I actually think Danico Slaughter's ability to to come up and lay the wood in in a run heavy game may be a benefit to Tennessee. Your thoughts? Well, I think you can play two guys back there. I think you play Wesley Walker. I think you can play Danico Slaughter. I think both those guys have done a solid job filling in. Um, Jalen McCullough knows what to do, but obviously there's no drop-off athletically. I mean, in fact, I think Tennessee's better athletically at safety 
with Nico Slaughter back there, or even Wesley Walker back there, who played some safety in, in the Martin game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Nico Slaughter downhill in the run game, I I think is is solid. Um, this is different now. I mean, the the, the physicality of this game is going to be different, and uh, I think it goes back to what uh, Rob was saying: getting them in third and long. Eric, you got to win first down. You got to win early downs. You cannot let Kentucky you know, get four yards on first down and be set second and six, you know, and, and can manage the sticks that way. You got to win early downs. And then if you can do that, you got to do what you haven't been able to do very well this year, Eric, and that's win third long, get off the field. Tennessee's given up way too many of those. Um, and Will Levis can throw it, but, but you got to get them into that situation and try to win third and long as opposed to Kentucky being in third and three, third and two all night long. Yeah, Kentucky's 43% uh, on, on third downs is a pretty good clip. Of course, when you have a quarterback <clears throat> excuse me, that can make some things happen, uh, that helps you on third down. So uh, another thing, too, they play three different tight ends. Now, none of those guys are uh, very aggressive in terms of being a guy they throw to a lot. But if you add them all up with the three different guys, I mean, there's 24 receptions on the season from the tight end position. The leading receiver in Tavion Robinson has 25 receptions. So... They're going to play some tight ends. Obviously, some of those guys are going to be in there to block and, and try to help out Chris Rodriguez. But the linebackers, the star, those safeties, um, as Austin kind of said, it, it, it positions a little bit better for Tennessee's defense, I feel like, in that regard. Now, there were points in times last year where Tennessee just got bullied, bullied in trying to defend the run. Tennessee's been really good against the run so far this year. A lot of that times, of course, UT Martin, of course, you know, you're down – from the get-go and you're throwing it all game long, LSU threw it a ton as well. They're going to get, obviously they're going to get challenged this week. You know, how good is that run defense? But hey, it was pretty good against Alabama. Jameer Gibbs got over 100 yards, but that was it. Um, so I'm intrigued, Brent and Rob, to, to see what this, this Tennessee run defense really is all about because it's going to get challenged. Yeah, and another thing that comes into play there where you can make Kentucky really uncomfortable, going to be a crazy environment, going to be a, you know, another awesome home crowd. If Tennessee starts fast, puts Kentucky at a, you know, down, you know, 14 points, 13, 14 points early, I think you got a real chance to get them out of their comfort zone offensively. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, you know, and, and that's what happened to them in, in that game uh, a year ago. Uh, you know, they got into the ball control stuff in the second half. But, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, they were scrambling early on because Tennessee was so uh, explosive right out of the gate. Um, so we'll see. We, we know this. Josh Heupel and, and Alex Golish are going to get receivers open. They're going to be opportunities for plays. Tennessee's done a great job capitalizing on them um, this year. There's only just a couple of times where you say, man, they missed one there, right? I mean, whether it's um, Hendon Hooker missing an open receiver or receiver dropping a ball or, or not running all the way through a route or whatever. They haven't missed many of those. If Tennessee can hit on those early, then it makes Kentucky uncomfortable. I mean, you look at Kentucky's schedule, none of these teams that they play to this point feel like they're offensive juggernauts, right? I mean, Mississippi State is a controlled passing game. They're not taking the top off of it. Anybody that watched that Alabama game knows that Mike Leach doesn't feel comfortable throwing the ball vertically. I mean, Tennessee scorches Alabama's secondary over the top, and Mississippi State doesn't even take a chance really in doing that. South Carolina – they score 24 points. Um, Kentucky doesn't have Will Levis. But they got a block punt. They got a fumble uh, short field for both of those, both of those, or for two of those scores. We saw Mississippi, Ole Miss has got some challenges offensively in that game. They missed some opportunities. 
Um, so they haven't played a great offense to this point. I mean, they haven't played anything like Tennessee. They think their defense is, is good. I think you, I think Hendon Hooker is going to see a lot of zone, Eric, and, and, and it's going to challenge Tennessee's patience. You know, um, their linebackers have three or four interceptions. They're pretty good in zone coverage. So can Tennessee be patient enough? Uh, can they run it against a lighter box in an unusual run scheme and, and, and be effective that way? If they can, then I think this offense can have a big night. I mean, do they have anybody that can keep up with Jalen Hyatt right now? I mean, you know, we laugh at Does that, anybody? But, dude, <laughs> if, there was, if there was ever a kid that was on fire like NBA Jam, this is that kid. I mean, geez. I mean, I mean, think about it. Let's say Tennessee was to win next week in Athens and go to Atlanta. Tennessee would have seven games left. Seven. He's at 12 touchdowns through seven with, potential, with definitely six, potentially seven games left. Yeah. I mean, and, and he is on a heater. The old, the old MLB slugfest, the, the guy's on fire at second base. Uh, well, and, and here's the thing, too. I mean, he, he's he's on fire, and Hendon Hooker and him and, and Jalen Hyatt are in complete complete sync with each other. Joey Halsley told this story at the quarterback club on Monday. that The, the last long touchdown pass that uh, Hyatt caught against Alabama, the seam route that went for a touchdown to give Tennessee the lead back in, in that game in, in the fourth quarter, that's a check at the line of scrimmage. That was not a call play from the sideline. That was a check that Hendon Hooker and, and, and Jalen Hyatt both saw the coverage, both read it, both knew what was coming. They checked with each other, and, and you made the play there. I mean, the, the relationship those two guys have built on the field uh, and, and kind of been forced on them a little bit with the injury to Cedric Tillman probably has made Hendon Hooker a better player. I don't think it's a blessing that, that Tillman got hurt. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't mean that. But but it's certainly helped Jalen Hyatt's production, and it's helped Hendon Hooker, I think, manage the game better and play the quarterback position better because he's not relying on one particular guy. And right now, I mean, he is in dead sync with Jalen Hyatt. And it also begs, I mean, how explosive are they going to be when they do get Tillman back and you've got Hyatt playing at this level? I mean, I'm sure there might be a little rust to knock off, but wow. I mean, I, I think the potential there is <laughs> is pretty exciting. Well, I mean, think about this. I mean, Tennessee th- – I mean, Hooker throws for right at 300 yards in a quarter of a half to play, right, Eric? I, I don't have the stats in front of him. It's like 276 two, and a quarter and a half. 276 and a quarter and a half. And after the game, Austin, we're like, man, they got to get Brew McCoy going. They got to get Brew McCoy involved. And, and and it's one of those deals where it's like they're throwing it at will. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they have a, a – they have a bunch of riches in this offense with this system, with, with what they're doing right now because of the quarterback play. What I think one of the most unique stats, when you look at Kentucky's defense, just pull up the stat sheet, they have 10 sacks from 10 different players. There's six interceptions from six different players. It's a very balanced Kentucky defense, and they've been solid. But as you guys have pointed out, I mean, they're not, they have not seen, nor will they ever see an offense like what they're about to see against Tennessee in this football game. Um, and back to the to the Tillman thing, Austin. You know, we'll, obviously Josh Heupel not going to give anything away in press conferences. He's get, been getting close. We'll have to see exactly kind of where he is later in the week. But if Cedric Tillman were to be put back in the fold this week, again, there'll be some rust. There'll be some snaps, uh, limitations there. But Romel Keaton, he's the one that would be seeing his snaps go away a little bit. But he, what he's brought to this offense, I mean, th- there's still, in my opinion, there's going to be a place for him to be playing in this offense to where Keaton can spell brew Keaton can spell Tillman, not Hyatt, of course, but there'll be more of a balance amongst the four wide receivers. I mean, Tillman will get his snaps because he's, you know, he's an alpha and he's a dog. He's got to be in there, but I don't think Ramel Keaton's just going to disappear. 
No, he will not disappear. Um, you know, you're right. I, I think that you know, what it allows is them to slowly bring Cedric along once he's reentered into the lineup. You know, instead of 75 snaps, he plays 50 snaps. And, you know, Brew, you know, gets a break from time to time with, with Ramel Keaton as well. So I, I agree. I think Ramel's earned it and uh, been too vital the last, you know, six weeks or so um, while Ced's been healing up. And again, Ced's trending the right way. He, he did a lot of running and cutting last week. <clears throat> but you just got to keep going until the end of the week, Hubs, and, and hope that you don't have any kind of setback. You know, that, that's, you know, right now everything's trending the right direction for him to be out there playing on Saturday. Yeah, my question, though, Rob, is just what kind of condition is he in in, in terms of how, how many snaps could he realistically play at, at full speed? What what kind of what kind of cardio shape is he in? The guy, the guy's, yeah, he's run some, but – he spent two weeks basically on a push cart, right? And and so you spend all summer preparing for this offense, knowing how much you've got to run. It doesn't take long to fall out of to fall out of that kind of shape. How quick can he get it back? I think is the question mark in terms of how many snaps could he go if the ankle's good enough to play on. Yeah, I would I would hesitate to guess that it probably wouldn't be the seventy five or eighty that you, you normally get in, in this offense at wideout. So I mean in because of the way Keaton's played, I mean, you've got the luxury. You don't have to rush him back. I mean, I, like AP said, I think Keaton has more than earned the right to, you know, to get his reps. He's certainly, you know, not what Tillman is, but he's he's been a very solid SEC receiver with, with the opportunity that he's gotten. Rob, I know you have the matchup piece that will come out later this week, but when you look at these individual matchups, I mean, Tennessee's passing game advantage over Kentucky's secondary, in my opinion – Tennessee's offensive line advantage over Kentucky's defensive front, in my opinion. Tennessee's offensive line, when you talk about winning the trenches, I mean, Tennessee's offensive line, and, and maybe not as, as physical against UT Morton as it was against LSU and Alabama, it's playing at a different level when you compare it to the front seven over there on Kentucky. And a lot of times you can't you can't really say that. Yeah, and I'm just by this point in the season, I'm just looking at SEC-only stats. I mean, once everybody's played three, four, five games, and, and Tennessee's played – you know, some, some pretty decent rushing defenses. Alabama was number one in the league when they came in last week, and they're averaging 224 yards a game. Went for, you know, around 450 yards against LSU and Alabama combined. I'd, I, I, I'd, I'd lean towards thinking Tennessee has a pretty big advantage there, and, maybe, you know, maybe I will have to reevaluate that at halftime on Saturday. But I, I think the, the ability of Tennessee to run the football and not just run it and put up numbers, but run it when they need to. I know AP asked Heupel about this on Monday, um, just dramatically better in short yardage th than they were a year ago, lining up and getting, you know, on, on third and two or fourth and one and being able to convert against good teams. I, I think it has been one of the, I don't know if it's underrated because we've talked about it, but it's not as sexy to talk about as, you know, Jalen Hype scoring 50 touchdowns or Hendon Hooker being in the Heisman trophy race. But, I think the improvement in, on an offensive line that brought back four guys that, you know, were, were okay last year but weren't great, I, I think that's that, that's been one of the biggest stories of the year for this offense. Brent, you've consistently said the biggest story. One of the biggest stories in college football has been Jalen Hyde, of course, but kind of a, a little mini arc, if you will, in this season. It's been the emergence and the, the versatility of the way that Tennessee's been using Prince and Fan. Now, I don't think he's going to throw another touchdown that pass this year, but he could – but what they've been introducing, getting this up on tape, obviously using him in the offset eye fullback position, that's added something to this offense. Just another new wrinkle where we see just about another new wrinkle every single week from Josh Heupel and Alex Golish. 
Yeah, I go back to Alex Golish's first year here, one of his first press conferences. They were asking about tight ends, and he talked about the need for three tight ends. You know, that they, they really wanted three tight ends, and they were trying to get a third guy to emerge, and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. This offense is not about tight ends. I know you're at Iowa State. You threw it to the tight end some, but this is about – you know, wide receivers running around everywhere deep down the middle of the field. But the more you look into this offense, it, it's a three-wide offense with a tight end. Mm-hmm. They have to have a tight – I mean, they need a tight end on the field every play for this offense to really, really go because having that tight end on the field allows them the flexibility to formation and shift. And they can go wide. They can squeeze it down tight. They can do a lot of different things. And you look at what Princeton fans doing, you know – a couple of those touchdown runs that, that he's got, you know, you're going from spread out to a tight formation there. The defense is not allowed to substitute, so you've got things in your favor. So I think the the play of the tight ends in this offense is always going to be important. I'll give Princeton Fant this. Now, he dropped a touchdown against UT Martin. He could have had a throw-in and two rushing and yep. a, a touchdown catch. But since that fumble in the opening positioning in the Florida game, Princeton Fant's been a much better football player. He has played more physical, I think. I think that one kind of woke him up, hacked him off, whatever, got him going. Tennessee's incorporated him. Uh, he, he's been important to this team, and, and he's going to be important to this team the rest of the way because of the flexibility that having a tight end on the field gives this offense and what it can do to to challenge defenses. As as Alex Golis said last week, it just creates different pitchers for the defense to have to look at, and right now they're doing that because of the, the play they're getting out of the tight end position. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tennessee's clicking. We'll see if they'll continue to click against Kentucky. It'll be a night game, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Tennessee looking to go 8-0 and and 4-0 in SEC play. Look back at the SEC slate from this past weekend, Brent. Yeah, Texas A&M, they got beat by South Carolina. South Carolina jumped out to a big lead in that football game. Yet LSU storming the field because it took down number seven Ole Miss 45 to 20. Does that answer some questions a little bit about it, if Ole Miss is for real, um, if, if Ole Miss is actually a contender? Uh, to maybe challenge Alabama in the West? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we, you know, we knew we were going to start to learn about Ole Miss because they were going to get into the meat of their schedule, and they're starting to get into it. And and this is a this would be tough sledding for them. They're they're not they're not dynamic enough on offense. Jackson Dart's not Matt Corral. They can't do some of the things they want to do on offense. I think the story of that game for me is Jaden Daniels and LSU. Rob, I mean, it, here's a guy that when Tennessee played Jaden Daniels, I thought he was. He was so gun shy about throwing the ball down the field that that you know everything was staying underneath him, and all of a sudden, you know somebody's got him convinced it's okay to throw the ball vertically, and, and they've got those receivers kind of engaged in playing right now. They've um, 
the, the quarterback play for them against Ole Miss was dramatically different than what we saw against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee had a lot to do with that. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to take anything away from Tennessee's defense. But that's been a pretty salty Ole Miss defense that Jaden Daniels had his way with Saturday night. Yeah, I was – I was, I don't know, blown away maybe it's too strong. I mean, but he I mean, he looked like a different player than the one we saw when Tennessee was at Baton Rouge. Just far more aggressive, far more confident. And, you know, listening to some of the stuff post-game, I almost wonder if it's not – if it – was, if that wasn't a lot a byproduct of Brian Kelly gaining some confidence in, in him in, in the way they managed the game because it really seemed like they I don't know I mean probably a two way street there but they didn't look like the same team he ran the ball he he ran for three scores and 121 yards too he had five total touchdowns well, he was the best player in the field at least yeah. for you know the, the I, I get to watch most of the second half of that game and best player on the field. Texas A&M, obviously, Ooh. a really, really bad loss to South Carolina. Uh, it's given Shane Beamer hey. something else to dance about. Hey, think about this, Austin. If if Arkansas's place kicker doesn't bounce one yeah. off the very top of the upright, where is this A&M team right now? They're not very good, but where are yeah, they? Two and five. Or, even, or if K.J. Jefferson doesn't fumble, you know, going in yep. right before halftime and they run that thing back 99 yep. yards. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are a train wreck on, on – on offense and for a guy who's known as a quarterback supposed quarterback guy there's not any growth at that quarterback position right now yeah i mean you know Jameis was obviously really really good and then they had kenny what kenny hill his his last year at texas a&m was, was really good but he before then he was just kind of pedestrian so i mean like you know yeah i mean i'm with you i mean like I, the shine has, has been off jimbo in my opinion i know they had that great recruiting class i know we, we all know why they had a great recruiting class um but it, he's parlayed that into just some bad and again we've seen it here for the last several years when you're not good at quarterback and you don't have a quarterback you better be just dominant everywhere else and you're not gonna win <laughs> they're not dominant not. enough everywhere else to make up for how pedestrian they are at quarterback yeah Missouri's hey, race pass Vanderbilt. Go ahead. South Carolina did everything they could to give Texas A&M every opportunity to win that game. I mean, they were – it's not like South Carolina was by any means dynamic at all. They had a kickoff return for a touchdown. They struggled offensively all, all night long. A&M had multiple possessions with opportunities and just couldn't do anything offensively. I mean, neither, neither one of those teams offensively did anything to make you go – Okay, they're starting to figure it out a little bit. Hey, greatest atmosphere in all of college football, though. Sandstorm. Go ahead, Eric Kane. Yeah, I mean, Haynes King's not a very good quarterback. Uh, I thought he was going to be really good a couple years ago. It's not It's not shown so far. Uh, Vanderbilt comes up short against Missouri, and then Alabama gets back on track 30-6. to six. I mean, just a, an easy, breezy type game. Yeah, I mean, I mean again – and coaches are killing me doing this. I, and I posted this, and I know the, the kicker missed the field goal afterwards. But, but Rob, I'm dumbfounded at this, and I guess it's analytics and it's the big binder notebook. But when you're on the road and you have an opportunity to take an early lead, what happened to the notion of taking the early lead to try to settle your team in? Mississippi State has a nice opening drive. They run it better than you think they're going to run it, better than they thought they were going to run it. It stalled out. And they go for it there, and then all of that is for naught. And all of a sudden, your sideline goes, huh? Billy Napier did the same thing in Knoxville on that opening drive where he bypassed on points, elevated the crowd into it. The, the idea that you're just going to not take three and settle into the game early in a game 
is, is just crazy to me right now in college football. I mean, they coaches have gone bananas over fourth down. I mean, they've just kind of lost their mind on fourth down, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But I, and Coach Heifel got asked about analytics on Monday, and I thought he had a, a good response. And I mean, he's like, you know, that's certainly important. We certainly look at all that. But he also stressed that he felt like it was really important that you occasionally be able to put the numbers aside and just have a feel for the game, about the flow of the game, what's happening during the course of the game, where you're at, despite what, you know, all the, the algebra may say. And I, I think that's a great example, Hubber, Leach, not, you know, declining to take points in, in that situation. I also yeah. think it's probably a byproduct of what we've been talking about with Tennessee. I mean, I think Mike Leach is looking at Bryce Young and Alabama thinking, you know, they're going to score, you know, 35, 40 points. We're not going to beat them kicking field goals and maybe got away from what he normally would have done in that situation because he was afraid of their offense. And then, heck, he goes for it on his own 30-yard line in the second quarter, essentially ended the game there. I mean, you know, I, I go back to Josh Heupel in the LSU game, Eric. Tennessee's up 7 nothing. They got that second drive going, and, and it stalls out. And instead of going for it on fourth and four or fourth and five, whatever it was, he kicks the field goal to get a two-possession lead. I mean, he, he wanted to go for it, but thinking big picture, a 10-point lead was a big deal at that point in the game. He took points there. I, I think analytics get in the way sometimes of gut feels of football games. And and I think Coach Ipa was addressing that when he met the media on Monday. And more proof in that game against LSU. You had LSU that could have uh, – they were down in the football game at that point, but you could have took some points there on fourth and whatever it was from the 10-yard line. You like to go for it, and that was the – the boot stumble play where he was stopped short. And then right before halftime, you're hitting booty, you're going, booty, 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 whatever. <laughs> uh, everybody called him boot for two years. So it's going to, it's going to take a minute, just like that Garantano, Garantano situation. Escovy uh, and Viscovy. Yeah. Them all, yeah. Right? Nonetheless, but I mean, yeah, coaches have just lost their minds on fourth down because like Tennessee Lewis got one before half there too. Rob, Rob started wanting to be called Rob Luis and so, <laughs> now I have to adjust. All right, I want to talk some recruiting here in just a moment, but looking ahead at the rest of the SEC slate for this weekend, Tennessee and Kentucky, of course. I mean, any chance Florida-Georgia be in a game? I would say no. The dogs are 22-and-a-half-point favorites. Ole Miss and A&M probably your best bet in terms of a good football game on the slate this weekend, Brent. I don't think so, Hubbard. I think I think Ole Miss may go in there and, and just pound them into submission. I just think that Ole Miss can score and Texas A&M can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, at, th at this point, I don't know how you think Texas a and is going to suddenly be able to put a, a bunch of points on the board. Now, Jackson Dart can't throw interceptions. I mean, he's got to avoid the interception bug for sure. If, if he can not turn it over, then I, I think A&M has a hard time scoring. And D.J. Durkin will be motivated in this game for Texas A&M. He and Lane did not exactly uh, mesh well in Oxford. So, you know, now that he's running the defense down at Texas A&M, I think he'll be motivated with his group. Tennessee, of course, a lot of success on the field right now, and it's translating to the 2024 recruiting class. Uh, 224 commits in the span of a week. The last one, of course, coming Friday night, late in the 11 o'clock hour Eastern time. You had Caleb Beasley, uh, priority in-state targets, longtime Tennessee favorite, goes ahead and commits to that 2024 class. AP, I think that that's one that can really spark some things. We talk about this talented in-state class of the Bucarters of the world, the Gories of the world, and, of course, his teammate, Edwin Spillman. That's a good get for Josh Heupel. Yeah, it is a great get, um, you know, for, for Josh Heupel. And uh, I think a lot of momentum with those in-state kids in 24. Um, you know, still a long way to go. Um, 
you know, so you, you know, but Tennessee could not be in a better spot than they are with the whole in-state class, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that like they're behind on anybody. I'm not saying they're getting everybody either. I'm just saying like they're not behind, and they're in a really good spot. They build a lot of momentum with those kids, um, you know. So yeah, I'm with you. I think that that's a that's a that's a big deal um, to continue to kind of get those kids back to campus as much as you can. I'm interested to see if Boo comes back. He plays at Knoxville on Friday. Um, it's probably hard for me to believe he's going to be here Saturday for the Kentucky game just because, you know, he was here for the Florida and here for Alabama. I would say he probably won't be here. But he does play in Knoxville on Friday night. So if you want a chance, another chance to go see him play, he played at Grace a couple weeks ago, plays at Webb this week um, for Chattanooga Christian. And then, uh, and you know, Gorey, same thing. And then you're right, Edmund Spillman uh, told me he's going to take a couple more visits and then uh, I would say start working towards the decision. Let's get our weekly gauge on David Hodge and Samarian Parker. Uh, Parker, I think, is going to Clemson. Um, you know, I mean, Tennessee's going to keep shooting there. And you know, look who all Rodney went and saw last week. He went and saw a bunch of guys that are committed elsewhere just continuing to, you know, you know, knock on doors and see if anybody wants to open, you know. And uh, as far as David Hobbs, um, I've not talked to him since he got back from Alabama. Um, I still think that those were the top two teams. Uh, it was good to see Chad Simmons uh, validate my, my thoughts and say that he thought it was the – that was the top two teams as well. Um and so, you know, I think getting in front of him again for the Georgia game uh, in two weeks is, is, is a good thing for Tennessee just because that means he's going to get to be around your program and see him play one more time. And then we'll stay in the class of 2023 here. Two more to end things off. Khalifa Keith, the Kentucky running back commit, did get an offer last weekend from yep. Tennessee. And then one other one, anything new with Stanton Rommel, the Michigan State commit? You know, with Khalifa Keith, uh, he and Jerry Mack continue to mesh really, really well. Um yeah, I think he'll take an official visit probably sometime in December. Um, I don't think he's in some super big rush to flip or or anything like that. I think he's going to take things to the finish line. Um, but I think you know he'll probably visit sometime officially in December unless that changes. I think that's the plan as of now. And then with Stanton Ramil continues to have some conversations with Tennessee, Michigan State obviously struggling, and so um, it's my uh, understanding that it was Ramil who reached out to Tennessee, not the other way around. Of course, the offensive line is a focal point for this class. They've got to figure it out, taking some 23s or the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, you've got to find offensive tackles. I mean, yeah. probably going to lose Darnell right at the end of this year. Um, you know, and, and then I think you just want to continue to add ta more tackle bodies. You've got a lot of guards uh, in your room if you're Glenn Ellerby. So going out there and attacking the transfer portal. And I just wonder how going to be. One would think they would be more attractive, right? I mean, look at the guys that are making plays on this team that were transfers, um, you know, you would think that Tennessee would be an attractive destination with all the success they've had. But, I mean, you know, prospects are prospects, and, and, and sometimes you, there's no rhyme or reason to some of the decisions they make. VolQuest podcast every Tuesday right here at VolQuest.com, $1 for one year. What a season Tennessee's having right now. If you want the best coverage of the Tennessee Volunteers, inviting all Tennessee fans to sign up with VolQuest.com on the On3 Network, $1 for one year and of course on youtube please subscribe and support the site on youtube by searching volquest pound that like button let's get it to over 500 likes hit that like button and of course subscribe there as well plenty of tennessee and kentucky preview coverage coming up the rest of the week volquest.com and as always for austin price rob lewis i'm eric kane appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here today on the volquest podcast volquest.com You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.